today's a special day. We're we're entering into a season of of spiritual warfare, uh, a season of warfare. Um, I really feel like it's going to be more like a lifestyle is what the Lord's like season feels like the wrong word. It's like we're, we're entering into a season where we're going to be trained to live a lifestyle of spiritual warfare. There we go. And as you guys hear that weird buzz noise, what is that? I don't know, but let's tune it out in the spirit. Okay. All right. And so it's, it's like when your kids are going crazy at home, just, just tune them out. Focus in with the Lord in the bathroom with your door shut. Spend your time with Jesus, right? Anybody else? Okay. That's what we're going to do today. <laughs> Tune out the distractions. So, so we're entering into this season where God's going to train us to do spiritual warfare. And I don't know about you, but every other time that I've ever really heard about spiritual warfare, most of the time I hear about it or have heard about it, taught on it, it, it seems to be in a, in a defensive perspective, right? You need to get armored up. You need to get the shield of faith up. You need to, you need to, you know, resist the devil and he'll leave you alone. He'll flee from you. And that is not what we're entering into. We're entering into a special season to be trained to go on the offensive in spiritual warfare. Okay. And I'm really excited about that. And it's really, I feel like it's like stepping into the fullness of the calling on our church, like our identity and our calling as free people. uh, We're called to help set other people free. Amen. But uh, before we can really do that, we, God wants to set us free. And through the process of setting us free from things that we struggle with still currently, anybody still struggle with things after you get saved and get baptized? Yeah, okay, so it's a thing. And, uh, and the Lord wants to set us free. And then through the comfort we've received of deliverance, of learning how to war in the Spirit, then we can go comfort others with the comfort we've received in freedom. Amen? So that's what he's wanting to do. So before I get uh, too far into this, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to to Deuteronomy chapter 20. And yeah, I did not get to this first service, so we're going right to it, this service. And uh, we're going to read this. This is Deuteronomy 20. So Deuteronomy happens as Moses' final words before they step into the to the promised land, kind of final instructions, right? And listen to what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 20. He says, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Okay? So you have to understand, they come out of Egypt. They get set free from the power and oppression of Pharaoh, their slave driver. They're coming out of slavery. They, they know the Lord now. He's like revealing himself to them. I'm the Lord. He's setting them free. He's saving them from Egypt. They spend 40 years in the wilderness. By the way, it's supposed to be one year camped out at Mount Sinai, learning his ways, learning to trust him, learning, to how, learning how not to strive and let him provide. And the Lord was showing me this morning uh, how literally during our worship practice, he started speaking to me and revealing to me things that he, I hadn't realized before. But, you know, in our wilderness seasons... The devil wants to tempt us to strive our way out of it. Lord, oh, it's so hard. Oh, Lord, it's so terrible. I want out. 
So I'm going to start striving. I'm going to start working to get out of the wilderness. And then when we get out of the wilderness and we get into the promised land, that's actually the season that God is like, now you're supposed to start working. It's not striving. It's working from rest. But it's, it's striving to take hold of that which God for which God has taken hold of you, your inheritance. The promised land season, our mindset is, oh, I'm finally in the promised land. Let's lay down and relax and not do anything, right? And take it easy and drink some milk and sip some honey. Can I get an amen, right? That's actually the devil. The devil wants you to strive in your wilderness season, wear yourself out, and then when you get into the promised land, you're so daggone out from your striving in the wilderness that you want to sit down and be complacent and compromise and settle down. And you're too worn out to drive out the enemies that God has called you to drive out out of your promised land so you can take hold of all that he has for you. And so when you're in the wilderness, you, you're tempted to strive. You're like, I want out of this. And God's like, I'm not getting you out of it. I want you to sit right here. I want you to learn my word and I want you to trust me. And the work of God in the wilderness is, guess what? You don't have to do anything. Just eat the manna, sit at my feet, learn from me, learn my ways. I want you to trust me. And then when God brings you into a special season, he's bringing you out of the wilderness and he's bringing you into that promised land, that calling on your life, the fullness of who he's created you to be. It's not a time to sit back and take it easy. That is actually, it says in Joshua chapter five, I believe, the day they stepped into the promised land, the manna stopped falling. So what does that mean? It's time to work. You're going to have to cultivate that field now. Hey, promised land. <laughs> My wife and I just, just bought a new property, and uh, it's got a house on it, and it's 25 acres. Can you believe that? we got an amazing deal on it. It's just amazing. And it is pure wilderness, and it is untamed, and it is so much work sitting there. And the ha- we can't even live in the house yet. It has no septic system. There's, there's no working toilet. Okay, that's what we bought, and it's, our, and it's our promised land, and we're excited, and we're like, man, this is going to be so awesome, going to be, but we're going to have to fight for it, we have to work for it, and God's like, it's yours, look, it's yours, I've given it to you, go do it, tame that wild land, bring it under the submission of the vision I've given to you. That's your promised land, okay? So God is our inheritance. You know, Scripture says we are his inheritance. So God is our promised land. We are God's promised land. And so God gives us all of himself. God saves us. But the the, the Old Testament story is a true parable. It really happened in history, but it prophesies into our spiritual journey with Jesus, when they came into the land, they, they were saved, right, from Egypt. They knew Jesus. They knew God. They had a relationship, right? But they, but let me ask you this. Were there enemies in the land? Yes. What, what was, what is the whole book of Joshua about? Warfare. It's time to fight for what God has clearly given to you. And his promise here in Deuteronomy 20 is, When you go to war, did you notice that? When you go to war against your enemies. When you go to war. This is how I want you to do it. And and the whole chapter is instructions for warfare. Okay? And God promises them when you see chariots of iron, when you see all this stuff, do not fear because you're going to win. When we start talking about warfare in the new covenant, 
We're talking about Ephesians 6, verse 12. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay? Demons are real. Look at your neighbor and say, demons are real. It's a thing. All right? Look at your other neighbor and say, it's a thing. (laughs) It's a thing. It's a thing in our culture. A lot of other cultures, they're more explicit um, because there's a lot more explicit witchcraft and occultism which empowers them in a greater way and and because those cultures are spiritual and they know the demonic power is real um they don't they choose not to hide themselves as readily the strategy in america is atheism there's no such thing as a supernatural so part of satan's strategy in america is we don't exist guys hey everybody in america all the demons in america we don't exist all right mess with them cause problems but it's depression it's a it's a health problem it's a mental health problem we don't exist all right but i'm telling you they exist they mess with us if you're a believer in jesus they mess with you and we're going to get into it i'm i'm getting a bit ahead of myself but we we need to learn how to do warfare to experience the fullness of the freedom that the Lord has for us. So, Lord, help me. Help me, help me, help me. Get through this. All right. So, jump down to verse 10. It says, When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. If they refuse to make peace and they engage you in battle, lay siege to that city. So, God's plan for, for the Israelites as they came into the promised land was uh, siege warfare, okay? When you come up to a city, hey, listen, God's like, don't, don't just wipe them off the map. Say, you have a choice. You can get in line with God or you can get out of the way, right? And if you don't surrender to, to God, you're going to be destroyed. Now, that's prophetic for the end times judgment, right? But he's called them, to, and he says, if they don't surrender, you need to lay siege to that city. How many of you know what, what a siege is? Okay, siege warfare, I actually wrote it out. Siege is this, by definition, a military operation in which enemy forces surround a town or building or city, whatever, cutting off essential supplies with the aim of compelling the surrender of those inside. With the aim of compelling the surrender of those inside. That's a siege. That's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like. That's what it feels like. I don't know about you, but again, when we talk about spiritual warfare, so many Christians are used to feeling like they're under siege, right? Like the enemy has circled your life and unleashed the hounds of hell and all hell has broken loose. Anybody ever been through a season like that? Where, you know, the water heater breaks, you get in a car wreck, you lose your job, your kid starts acting up and, and being a total rebellious little, you know, things you can't say in church. And, and you're just like, what is going on? And it just feels like you're surrounded and the enemy has laid siege to your life. And it just happens over and over and over again. Um, not anymore. The time has come where the Lord is calling his people to lay siege to the strongholds of the enemy. Okay. So, jump on down to verse 19, which is the end of this chapter, and this is what God says. When you lay siege to a city for a long time, fighting against it to capture it, do not destroy its trees by putting an axe to them because you can eat their fruit, okay? And he goes on and gives more instructions. 
But he says, this is the, this is the point, all right? God showed me this a few weeks ago, and he's been highlighting it. It's a big deal. When you lay siege to a city, when you go to war, when you lay siege, and listen, they're not on the defensive. They're on the war path, and they're on the offensive. This is what God is calling us to. It says when, when they would go up to, to a battle, the commander would say to the army, hey, listen, if any of you are afraid, you can leave. If any of you have just gotten married and you're thinking to yourself, man, I haven't gotten a chance to enjoy my wife, and do all this, you can leave. If any of you just built a house and you haven't gotten to live in it, you're like, oh, I'm going to miss out on it, you can leave. Okay, this is God's grace. He's saying to them, listen, I can use two people. <laughs> I don't need an army of thousands. I can take two people and I can use them to win a victory. I want my people focused. I want my people ready. And I want to encourage you, as I've said, we, we're stepping into what is really our destiny as, as, a, as a church. And this is a, a church family that is going on the offensive together uh, when it comes to spiritual warfare, okay? This is something the Lord is calling us to. And whew, this kind of came out first service, and, and it's, it's a warning from the Lord, and I just want to give you a heads up, okay? And I just, if, if this kind of stuff freaks you out, Okay, if, if you're like, man, I don't know if I want to learn about this or get into this. Um, you, ne- you need to really prayerfully consider if this is your church family. Okay? And here's why. You've heard the saying, higher levels, higher devils. You ever heard that? Right? God takes you to higher levels, you got to fight bigger battles, right? And that's true. And the, the grace in that is higher levels also come with higher uh, angelic power help, <laughs> comes with greater uh, grace from God, comes with greater protection. You know, who has the greatest protection in, in the army? It's the general who has the greatest protection with, with uh, you know, the president's cabinet, the president. You know, the higher, the higher God takes you to do things for him, the more protection there is. So you don't need to fear that. W- what I'm saying, though, is... Um, the Lord's going to call our church family to go after higher devils. And so every, he wants everyone in our church family to get trained in deliverance, to live a life of prayer, which we should be. By the way, all, everything I'm about to say is like what the Bible says a normal average Christian should be doing anyways. So there's that. But <laughs> so like complacent, compromised American Christianity isn't going to work for, for if you're in this body. Okay, and here's, here's why. When we go after greater battles to see God bring greater freedom in people and in families and in whole cities, which we will eventually do, and even nations, it will arouse greater retaliation or attack from the enemy, pushback. He, they're rebellious spirits. They don't leave with uncontested, right? They don't leave easily, right? Um, and so if you're in this body and you're just trying to be the compromised, complacent, I'm going to come to church once a week type of Christian, here's the, here's the difficulty, potential difficulty for you. There's a story in Joshua about a guy named Achan. And they were on the warpath. They were on the offensive, taken cities uh, and, and nations for the glory of God, right? 
But Achan was not fully surrendered with the Lord. (laughs) He didn't pay attention to the Lord's commands, to the Lord's instructions. And when he got into the battle, he was not prepared for what he faced. And he faced a great temptation. And God had given him clear instructions on what to do, and he ignored that. And he took for himself some of the things that were really meant for the Lord, things he was supposed to stay away from. And it cost him deeply. And the Lord was reminding me this morning, I didn't plan to say all this, but it came out for service. And um, this is the commander standing before you going, hey, if anybody's afraid, you're, we bless you if, if you if you're like me and I can't do this. But I believe you all can do it if you'll trust Jesus. Does that make sense? Because I was praying a few weeks ago, and I was like, Lord, please remove the fearful. And Lord, please remove the Achans before we have an Achan situation. (laughs) Because we don't want to lose anybody. And the devil will attack the weakest links. The devil will attack the lambs that are kind of out in la-la land and stray off. That's Achan. And we don't want that to happen. And so I believe that we're all meant to go on this journey, but I can't say this strongly enough that this is really serious. We live in a world at war. And the Lord has called us to take that war seriously and and go after it and go after the enemy and lay siege to the enemy's camp in our own lives, in our own families, in our churches, and in our communities, okay? And that's where we're going. And so here's a few opportunities coming up. At the end of this month, April 29th, Open Heaven Ministries is going to be having a training in this room. Um, It's their Deliverance School 101 training. And uh, this is the training that my wife and I went to. It's been seven years ago now. And totally rocked our world and, and was so amazing. And uh, we learned about spiritual warfare. And it, and it wasn't just learning instruction. They're very anointed. And uh, it, the whole day that we were there, the Lord was just meeting us in a powerful way. And um, then we got to the end of the day, and we received prayer from their prayer team. And we got free of some things. Um, we got filled with the Father's love in a powerful way. And then we received an impartation of uh, several things. Uh, to be able to do deliverance ministry, okay? So power, authority, and I believe a gift of discerning of spirits. That's just my, uh, what I've realized the Lord gave to me. All, and that was through one training, one prayer session at the end. Boom, God did that. That was a Saturday. Sunday, that Sunday morning, I led our church in a corporate deliverance prayer. And we that week, you know, as people are confessing problems, oh, pastoral counseling, I'm like, I can help you, let's pray. And it was deliverance prayer. And immediately started seeing results, crazy results. You know, uh, people being set free from depression, like medic, diagnosed on medication depression. We do a prayer session. They're like, my depression's gone. And I'm like, like, it was so shocking, some of the things that were happening there, even in the very beginning, that I was just kind of like, really? Okay, well, talk to your doctor. I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. I've never had someone say this before, right? And then it lasts, and it stays gone, Okay. And so um, powerful, powerful stuff, Uh, learning how to diagnose what the real problem is 
because if you don't know what the real problem is, you give the wrong treatment. And the wrong treatment doesn't do anything, okay? And so if your depression is physiologic, then maybe some pills could help, maybe. But if your depression is demonic, pills are just going to make you feel different. But the depression's not going away. And so if the depression is demonic, you need a spiritual solution, okay, to, to see that problem gone in your life. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. And so uh, we're going to get into this uh, a little deeper, but I want to encourage all of you, everyone in our church family, to go through this training. Um, deliverance is not a spiritual gift. I believe it's the calling of every believer that when you... Mm. I just got like a strong impression of like children doing deliverance. <laughs> like, and we're teaching our kids this stuff. My kids know how to pray when they have a bad dream. That's more than a bad dream. Uh, when they're feeling a lot of oppression, they know how to pray through that. And I just had this strong impression of like kids in our church meeting adults who have no clue what's going on. They're like, oh, let me pray for you. And they, they know how to pray, and they make the problem leave. So God's inviting all of us to learn this because Jesus commanded his disciples, preach the gospel. We got that one down. We talk about that all the time, right? Drive out demons, heal the sick, and so on. God is bringing deliverance ministry back to the forefront. You know, it was kind of like a, a staple of Jesus' ministry, okay? And, and so we need to get trained, and we need to get ready. And so April 29th, Saturday, in this room, the registration is $99, okay? If you are going to struggle with that cost, let us know. Hello at freepeople.church. That's our email and, and we'll figure out a way to help you with that, okay? If you know any pastors um, who, who maybe need this training, want this training, or just let them know, uh, our church will pay for pastors who, uh, to take this training. So if you have pastor friends, let them know that. Um, so that's a huge opportunity to get trained in this stuff, and I can't emphasize it enough. It's a great start, and, and there's a training. It's all day, and then at the end, they pray for you, Okay? And you can receive prayer, okay? And so God's calling us to, uh, to get trained in this and to really go after this because we're going to go on the offensive, okay? A siege uh, is something, it's an offensive strategy where you surround a stronghold, right? And then um, God leads you in a particular um, strategy to see that stronghold fall, and to see people get set free. Um, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say a prophet. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which means son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. So he's changing his name, which means rock. 
And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Jesus is giving us a clue here. Gates are not offensive strategies. Gates are a defensive mechanism. So hell has gates. Gates are prohibitive to keep people out, inhibitive, and they're prohibitive to keep other things in. So if you have a gate on your property, it's to keep trespassers out. And if you put a gate around your animals, it's to keep the animals in. Jesus is letting us know that Satan has gates, strongholds with gates that are meant to keep freedom fighters out, people of God out from getting the other people out, and to keep the people who are in the stronghold in. Okay? That's what the gates of hell, um, that's what gates of hell are. They're strongholds of Satan to keep people captive. And listen to what Jesus said in verse 19. I will give you, this is right after that verse, the gates of hell won't prevail against my church, Jesus says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound or will have already been bound, is another way to translate that, in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus is giving us keys. And the picture that I had this week as I was praying into this, it's, it's kind of different than I've thought about this before. We, we always talk about tearing down the strongholds, especially in worship. You're singing a powerful worship song. It's like, tear down the strongholds. Yeah, let the walls fall. Woo! Like, like put some dynamite, TNT in that stronghold. And just boom, you know? Like, ah, that's how I feel it in my spirit. But I got a different picture, different impression this week. We've got keys to the kingdom of God. Satan's got strongholds that keep people bound up. And I just feel like the Lord's like, man, it can be a lot more peaceful than that. (laughs) Like, just take your keys. Just stroll up to the stronghold of the enemy. Hey, um, you're going to lose now. And uh, I'm going to unlock this door, this gate, and I'm going to open it. And anybody that wants Jesus in there, you can just come on out. And And you just... You just put your little key in, and you turn the key, and you just open the door, and you're like, all right, come on out. You're free. And then they come out, and there's nothing the enemy can do about it. And that was the picture God was giving me, just this peaceful thing. And in my experience with deliverance ministry, um, that's what it's really been like, you know? There are people who have more serious stronghold issues. Uh, they can manifest or, um, you know, get a little more agitated, Right? But it's, it's no big deal. It's, oh, submit in Jesus' name. Oh, be quiet in Jesus' name. Okay, cool. Now we continue. And then you just move on. And by the end of that prayer, it's like, oh, man, demonic presence is gone. And oh, they're free. And oh, okay, how do you feel? I feel different. I feel lighter. Oh, my goodness. It's like, oh, cool. All right, well, see you. See you Sunday at church. <laughs> just, just unlock the door. Oh, come on out. Oh, okay. Yep, see you later. <laughs> God's given us keys to the kingdom. It's not as difficult as, as we make it. This is the mandate of Jesus, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. He said this, he quoted this in Luke 4 he, to talk about, like, this is my calling, Jesus was saying. That's what he was saying. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
So Jesus is like, I want you to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and then I want you to set captives free, okay? So let me tell you what's going on in our world right now. People are under the power of the devil, being held captive to do his will, to keep them from believing in Jesus, and thereby be set free, okay? The, the scripture says that the enemy blinds the minds of unbelievers, right, so that they can't believe in Jesus, because he wants to keep them captive doing his will, which means this, unbelief itself is a gate of hell meant to keep freedom fighters, Christians who know how to help set people free, out, and the unbelievers held captive in. But there are other gates of hell, okay? Things that keep people bound up in strongholds of the enemy. Sin in any, any form is a gate of hell meant to keep you bound up keep you from Jesus, or if you know Jesus, keep you from fulfilling your kingdom destiny. Fear is a gate of hell. Anger, also it's cousins, bitterness, hatred, resentment, unforgiveness. These are gates of hell that keep people bound up. Depression, oppressive thoughts, these are gates of hell. Trauma can be a gate of hell that keep people bound up. Occultism, any form of occultism, which we'll unpack probably next week in much greater detail what that means. And that's not just people in black slaying goats and and worshiping the devil explicitly. Occultism is a broad term for anything spiritual that is not Christianity. Because anything spiritual that's not Christianity is spiritual. And you are engaging demonic powers to greater or lesser degrees, depending on what it is. And, it, and it, there are people who mess with something spiritual that's not Jesus. They get a demonic presence in their lives. They get all bound up. Then they try to move on with their life. And they have all sorts of problems and issues. And what they don't realize is those problems and issues came from that's going to that psychic, playing with those tarot cards, messing with that Ouija board, whatever, the, whatever it was for them. Getting, when I was really into New Age and I was really doing the transcendental meditation thing. You know, when I was doing this spiritual meditative yoga stuff, oh, yeah, oh, then it was kind of weird, and I was like, all right, I'm going to get out of this. And we'll unpack that uh, to greater degree, most likely, in the next few weeks. But (sighs) these things are gates of hell that keep people bound up. Freedom has fruit, but strongholds have symptoms. Okay? In other words, if you're free, there's going to be consequences of that, and it's good, and we call it fruit. Right? If you have stronghold, there's consequences of that, we, and it's symptoms of that, okay? Freedom has fruit. Strongholds have symptoms. So what is the fruit of freedom? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, another way you can render that, where the Spirit is Lord, where you yield to God, surrender to God, and let Him have power and control in your life, you have freedom, and there's a fruit that goes with freedom. What is the fruit of freedom? Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, Right? Love, joy, and peace. I I could stop there. There's a fruit to yielding every part of your life and heart to Jesus, okay, in every way. Living in the freedom of Jesus, fruit will grow out of that, okay? Let's just talk about peace for just a minute, the fruit of peace. Peace is not just the absence of bad things. It's the presence of Jesus in your life, okay? And so peace is the presence of the good, of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit is Lord. There's peace, 
Because Jesus is here. He's in control, right? He's got it taken care of. I have peace. But man, we use this term so often. And I think so many Christians actually don't have peace. But we don't think about what peace actually is. So think about it for a minute, what peace actually is. When you have peace, what is that like? You're, you're tranquil, you're content. So it's the presence of the good, but it's also the absence of the bad. So when you have peace, you do not have anxiety. When you have peace, you do not have fear. When you have peace, you don't have anger or frustration or worry or discouragement. You don't have depression or suicidal thoughts. You don't have oppressive, negative, evil, gross thoughts. You're not oppressed by temptation all the time when you have peace. And so just think about that for a minute and think about how often you personally, truly, if you're honest, don't have peace. And if you're honest with yourself, and if you're like me, that it, it, it ebbs and flows and comes and goes, that means whenever you don't have peace, there's, a spiritual, there's either an oppressive spiritual attack happening, or you have a stronghold. I've talked to some Christians, sat in prayer sessions, I mean devout Christians, right? Really love Jesus. Re- at church every week, really read their Bible. They really want to know him. And they're like, I'm depressed all the time. I'm discouraged all the time. I never have peace. I'm like, that's a problem, right? God wants to help you with that problem. The will of God is to always be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Always be being filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, right? Constantly be being filled. What's the fruit of that? Love, joy, peace. God wants you filled with these things, okay? So if you don't have peace, if you have these other things, then there's an issue in your life. It's a symptom, You don't have the fruit of peace. You have a symptom, okay? So freedom has fruit. Strongholds have symptoms. So what are the symptoms? If you have a stronghold or what you could call a gate of hell in your life that's keeping you from being free in that area, what does that look like? I've already listed a lot of them, okay? Anger, bitterness, hatred, resentment, unforgiveness, constant frustration, fear, worry, social anxiety, Depression, regular, overwhelming discouragement. Suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts, gross thoughts, oppressive thoughts, jealousy, comparison. These are a lot of what we might call, you might, you might be thinking to yourself, that's, that's emotional. Those are emotional things. These are emotional health issues. Yes, absolutely. What else can be a symptom of a stronghold? Mental health issues. What else can be a symptom of a stronghold? Some physical health issues are not actually at the root a physical problem. It's a spiritual problem. There's a demonic presence causing that physical symptom or that physical problem. How do we know this? Two ways. Number one, scripture. There's a boy who had epileptic seizures, it says. But we, Jesus cast a demon out. He didn't heal him. If he needed healing, it would have said Jesus healed him. No, he said it's a spirit that causes the seizures. He made the spirit leave. Okay? There were spirits that caused people, they called them deaf and mute spirits. They couldn't talk. Jesus made them leave. What do you know? They can talk. He says he heals a woman who's crippled, can't walk. And they challenge him because it's on the Sabbath, which is a whole other issue. 
And he says, should not this woman whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years be set free on the Sabbath? Physical health issue that had a demonic cause. So it's really important to diagnose the cause of your symptoms so that you apply the proper medicine, so to speak. Okay? Now, are all physical health issues demonic in nature or demonic at the root? No. One good way to help diagnose that, uh, as we have discovered through ministering to people and also many other deliverance ministers who have way more experience than I do, uh, say that when someone has a physical health issue and it's, there's no, they can't find the reason physically speaking, that it's there. Like, I have this pain, and then they do all these tests, and we don't really know why it's there, right? I'm learning that there are certain diagnoses that basically mean you have issues, and we don't know why they're there, right? I think fibromyalgia is a, a good example, right? What is that? Then they put a medical term to it, so then we tend to think as humans, oh, that's just a, oh, you have a medical problem, it's fibromyalgia. The people that I've talked to who have fibromyalgia is like, what is, but what does that mean? Like, what is it? Well, they don't really know. It means I have sporadic pain that's through my body and it might show up in a different part of my body at different times and different causes. But they're not really sure. They don't really know a lot about it. Hmm. That's interesting. Okay. There's other diagnoses that, especially when they can't pinpoint physically why it's happening, it's a good indication that it very well could be a spiritual problem. Okay. We've tested that theory here. We've seen people set free from those debilitating physical issues that they've had for 20 years in some cases through one prayer session where we said, what if this is spiritual? Let's approach it that way. We pray through it that way, and boom, they're set free, and they don't deal with it anymore. That's how you know. And so scripture tells us physical health issues can be a spiritual problem, and then we see that happening in our culture and in our life experience from time to time. And so some of you might be wondering, are you saying that Christian people can have these problems? Yes. That is, everybody has these problems, Christians included, okay? There's a difference between possession and oppression, okay? Christians, I should say a real true Christian who's connected to Jesus, can't be possessed because possession has to do with ownership, okay? So possession is a thing where the devil, like, moves in and is like has full ownership of someone because they've given him that much authority in their life. And that is a thing, right? And movies tend to hyperbolize it, although some cases can be pretty extreme. Uh, and the symptoms are pretty extreme. I think that's all I have to say on that note. So a true Christian can't be possessed, fully owned, or controlled by the devil because they're owned by Jesus, okay? But can a Christian give space in their life for the devil to occupy? Can a Christian have a demonic presence in their life that is kind of attached to them somehow? Doesn't have full control, doesn't possess you and tell you what to do and all that. But maybe in this one area where you've given up some authority, 
where you've cracked the door open, there's a demonic presence there who's got a hold on you and can, when it comes to that area, kind of has greater influence over you. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's a thing. Let me, let me show it to you in scripture, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Now he's writing this to Christian people, right? Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold, okay? The King James Version renders that do not give the devil a place in your life. Don't give the devil a space he can occupy. Charles Kraft is a very well-known uh, deliverance minister who's been doing it for I don't know, decades, decades. He's helped many, many people with explicit demonic issues, okay, and, and extreme demonic issues, okay? And in his book, Two Hours to Freedom, um, he talks about God, you know, teaching him along the way, and he quotes the verse, Surely you desire truth in the inmost parts. And he said, God gave him revelation through that one time, and he tested it in real life experience, that we as people have different parts. And this is the way he explains it. We have a spirit, we have emotions. The Bible talks about your spirit, talks about your heart, which is the seat of all emotions, talks about your mind. And then, of course, your body, right? We have different parts. There's different parts to us. And so when you get born again, that's in your spirit, okay? Your spirit is a new creation. Your spirit is holy, sanctified, right? Your flesh is not. And so there's a war going on, right? The holy you that that wants to please the Lord, the Holy Spirit you, right? And warring against your flesh, warring against your unrenewed mind, And Charles Kraft talks about, in some of his sessions, he began to interview demons. Okay, these are rebellious spirits, but command in the name of Jesus, you know, answer this question type of thing, and and they would. And he began to ask them, where are you in this person? And he would say, are you in the, and and sometimes you get their, I'm in their emotions, I'm in their mind, I'm in their body. Okay, and he began to ask this question, are you in their spirit? And he said, every time I asked that question, are you in their spirit? They would say no. And one time he said, why not? can't why not jesus is there oh okay all right why am i sharing this with you we need to get away from the black and white view that it's either full possession or you can't be touched by the devil that has done a huge disservice to christian people who are massively oppressed and have all sorts of problems, and the problems are demonic in nature. Now, whether it's an attachment, whether you've given a foothold, whether you have a stronghold in your life, or whether it's just oppression all the time, okay? Um, In my view, there is a difference between all those things and how you handle them and deal with them, but they can really feel the same and cause the same types of problems in someone's life. My big deal is let's just get rid of the problem, right? And so we need to be equipped, and God's equipping us today and through this series that we're going to be teaching on and the open heaven training and then through real life experience. You're going to have an opportunity to apply this stuff to your own life. Why? Because God wants you fully free. And if you're, and I'm just going to give you a heads up. If you sit there and go, I just, I'm not sure about this. I'm just not sure I believe all this. Okay. What do you do when you're ignorant? Because that's called, you're not sure, 
right? I don't mean to put any, I'm not, that has a negative connotation in our culture. I just mean you just don't know. You're not sure. I used to be there. I used to be ignorant of these issues, right? I wasn't experienced, so I was ignorant. I'm not sure. I know what the Bible says, but I don't know. There's a lot of Christians who say, um, you know, full possession or you're a believer. And if you're a believer, devil can't touch you, can't mess with you, can't have demons, you know, don't listen to that. I appreciate that view. And I, most of these guys that teach this, I appreciate their motive in that view. And the motive in that view is to give Christians peace. Stop worrying that you have a demonic problem. I appreciate that. But that view is based out of ignorance and then at times pride. So when you don't know something, what does humility do? Man, I'm not sure. I'm going to ask. I'm going to seek. I'm going to knock. I'm going to go on a journey with God and ask him to reveal it to me. As you're on that journey, he's going to lead you to scripture. You're going to read a whole lot of scripture. And then you're going to see people. There are, there are people in the world who we have no idea what this stuff's about. And there's a whole lot of people who do deliverance ministry. Okay, so I'm not sure. I don't know. But these people say they know. I'm going to go learn from them. I'm going to see what they do. I'm going to look at what they do, and I'm going to test the fruit of their ministry and what they're doing. And I'm telling you, if you will do that, you will soon find out the Bible's true, every word of it. God is still doing everything he did in Scripture, and so is the devil, okay? (laughs) And so we're still at war. So God needs and wants his people to be trained in deliverance to know how to deal with the oppression and the strongholds of the enemy, okay? Because he wants you to live in the fullness of the freedom that he purchased for you. We just sang that in that song, Worthy, you know, uh, this morning. That I want to live in the freedom of all that your cross paid for. And that's really what it's about for Jesus. But to do that, we have to believe this stuff's true and real. We have to engage in training. And then we have to put it to the test. We have to put it into practice if we want to see God do uh, what he wants to do uh, in our lives. And so, again, I want to encourage everyone to, to go to Open Heavens training um, at the end of the month. I want to encourage you to go on this journey with us. You know, it says when they go into the promised land, they're going to engage in siege warfare. And they're going to surround the strongholds of the enemy uh, to, to bring about surrender so that God's people can take hold of their inheritance. The first city that they took was Jericho. If you remember that story in Joshua uh, chapter 6. Anybody remember that story? They marched around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, they marched around uh, seven times, I believe. And um, blew the trumpets, right? And the walls fell down. And then they just went in. And there were people in there that belonged to God. Rahab the prostitute and her family, right? She believed in the Lord. And she said, hey, I'm not going to partner with the enemy. I want out. I want God. And they said, okay, when the walls fall down, we'll come get you, all right? And they just very simply, walls fell down. They just very simply went in and got her, brought her out. And, and that was it, you know? Keys of the kingdom. It's, it's easy, right? Simple, right? And God was showing me, this was siege warfare. They surrounded the city and they did this, right? For a week. Which, by the way, when it comes to siege warfare, a week is a short amount of time. In the natural You'd have to sit around a city for like a month to starve them out, to cut off their supplies, right? And so 
the battle really started in Joshua chapter 5. It says this, Joshua chapter 5, 13 through 15. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua chapter 5, they've reached Jericho, they've surrounded the city, they're waiting on instructions from God. They're laying siege to this stronghold. And Joshua looks up and he sees the angel of God. Now this is either Jesus, a theophany, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament as commander of the Lord's army, or it's Michael the archangel. It's one of the two. And he's got a drawn sword in his hand. He is there to war. He is there to fight. And Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? And he says, one translation says, he says, no. You for us or our enemies? No. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> that was an either or. Neither. He says, I'm for the Lord. The implication is, who are you for? I'm for God. Who are you for? And as we're preparing to embark on this journey together, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. And Joshua's heart is like, I'm for the Lord. And so he asks him, what, okay, okay, okay. What message do you have for me? And it hit me this week as I was reading this. He's probably expecting the battle plan, which the angel gives him in Joshua chapter 6. It says, the Lord says to him, most likely this is the same conversation. The angel saying, all right, here's the battle plan. But it hit me this week. He's probably expecting the battle plan, but that is not at all the answer he got. What message, as I'm preparing to, to go on the offensive and tear down this stronghold, what message do you have for me? He says, you better take off your shoes because the place where you're standing is holy. It's consecration. Consecrate yourself. Take off your shoes. Honor God. Reverence God. You're in a holy place and you're in the presence of an angel or, or perhaps Jesus himself. You need to honor me with your life. Reverence me. If you want to win spiritual battles, you need to keep a high honor and reverence of God. You need to keep a high fear of the Lord. Consecrate yourself to that. We were praying a few weeks ago, and, and Jamie, our youth pastor, was praying the Lord's Prayer. And he was talking about the kingdom coming, and he was talking about hallowed be your name. And he was talking about we hallow your name. And the Lord showed me, he gave me a revelation into that scripture. And it was basically like, we, we so often pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Like, that's what we want. That's the popular prayer. We want to see change on the earth. We want to see people transform, cities transform, nations transform. Come on, Lord, why aren't you doing it? And this is the revelation I got. We can't see the kingdom come until we first hallow his name. Because if we bring the kingdom, but we're not fully committed to honoring God and reverencing God with our whole lives, when it comes to discipleship, we'll reproduce what we are. And so when we bring the kingdom and bring others into the kingdom, we will just make them lukewarm, compromised, complacent Christians as well. And God's like, yeah, before we get to that whole kingdom coming, 
I want you to honor my name. I want you to hallow my name with your whole life, your whole heart. Consecrate yourself. He wanted Joshua to know you're not the one that's going to be fighting the battle, so you better stay tuned into me. You better live a life of prayer. Take off your shoes, okay? Get rid of anything of the world that's soiling your life because it will compromise your ability to win these spiritual battles. So take off your shoes. Consecrate yourselves. And the second thing I want to encourage you with out of this is we need to fight God's battles. Are you for us or our enemies? No, I'm for God. Who are you for? So much of American consumer Christianity is come and make Jesus a part of your life. Come and make Jesus your God and just live however you want and then invite him in to fight your battles so that the things that you want to happen in your life will happen, right? And listen, God's favor is not on that. And then we get mad that God's not answering our prayers the way we want. Where's my promised land, God? And the Lord's like, I didn't promise you that. That's not your promised land. I didn't promise you that. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. But if we start God asking God, what do you want? Your kingdom come, not my kingdom on this earth, your kingdom. Then our prayers get real effective, and then we get the favor of God to go out and win battles in the earth. And so Joshua, God is humbling Joshua. I want you connected to me. I want you fighting my battles the way I want you to fight them. And then once he's humbled, once he's surrendered, he's consecrated, then God gives him the battle plan. And listen to what he says in Joshua chapter 6. The gates of Jericho are securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered, past tense, Jericho into your hands, along with its king and fighting men. And then he gives them the strategy to march around it once a day for six days. And on the seventh day to march around it seven times with the priests blowing trumpets. When you hear the sound of a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. He says, see, look at it. I've given it to you. When he looks at it, it's not in their possession. But it's already been promised. It's already yours. And then he gives them this battle plan. Lay siege, surround the stronghold, march around it, and blow trumpets. This is a prophetic act that for us represents prayer and worship. So what God wants to do through this teaching, really through this training, is to make us aware of the enemy's presence, to make us aware of his schemes, tactics and strategies the apostle paul says for we are not unaware of satan's schemes which means tactics and strategies he wants to open your eyes to his presence to his tactics and strategies the symptoms in your life of the problems you have are not just fill in the blank there are spiritual battles going on he wants to open our eyes to this and then he wants us to consecrate ourselves okay god how do you want to fight this battle Give us a strategy to go after it. The strategy will include prayer and worship. 
Leonard Ravenhill said, prayer is not preparation for the battle. It is the battle. Oswald Chambers says, prayer is not preparation for the greater work. It is the greater work. And and it really is when it comes to spiritual warfare and spiritual battles. They marched around it for six days. On the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. This is what God is calling us to do as, as we go on the offensive, to identify strongholds in ourselves, in our families, in our churches, in our communities, and then lay siege to them. Surround them. And it's like we, we set up camp outside the stronghold, and we go, devil, I see what you're doing. I'm, I'm going to wake up and pray about this every single day until you're gone. That's laying siege in the spirit. To have this tenacity when you know it's a spiritual problem, when you know it's a demonic presence, to not get complacent or sleepy or compromised. If you go read the, the book of Judges, it says it lists the tribes, and each tribe had its territory, and each tribe was supposed to drive the enemy out of their own territory. And some of them did. Caleb and his tribe, they drove them out, and they won. Now, that dude was chomping at the bit for 40 years, so you better believe he's like, I'm fighting. I don't care if I die on that battlefield. I've been waiting to do this for 40 years. But other tribes, if you read Joshua 17, it says that the tribe of Joseph, they didn't like their territory. The reason? They had stronger enemies. The the enemy chariots there were fitted with iron. We can't defeat them. And do you know Joshua's response to them? Oh, the Lord will be with you. You can surely defeat them. You're not getting someone else's territory. Stop looking at another Christian's life and going, well, they just have it easy. I just want what they have. Why can't you just give that to me? And what you don't see is they did the work of fighting the battles, and that's why they're promised lands free of enemies, and they do have a lot of joy and peace and favor of God and all the fruit that grows out of that, natural and supernatural, Because they were willing to fight the battles. They were willing to do the hard work. They were willing to give up everything and make Jesus the only thing. And then go after the enemy and lay siege until they saw the fruit of the freedom that God promised them. That's why they're experiencing that. And that's Joshua going, oh, no, no, no. You don't get someone else's. God's given you your lot in life. He's given you your territory. And, And by the way, I know your enemies seem so much bigger and stronger than everyone else's enemies. Okay. But you can surely defeat them. The Lord is with you just like he's with them. So it's time to learn and it's time to fight. And so God's going to, this week, really what I want to challenge you to do this week is to begin praying for the Lord to open your eyes and to show you what strongholds there may be in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your church, I'm not afraid of that type of praying. If there's a stronghold in my church, I want to know about it. Amen. And then we can deal with it. But if we're unaware, the enemy gets to stay and the problems continue. So back to what I was saying, I didn't finish that. Joshua 1, it lists the tribes and it, it's a tragic reading. And it doesn't explain it. But when you read all the other scriptures and you understand what he's saying by listing this out, it's like this tribe did not drive out all the enemies 
They let them stay. This tribe did not drive out all the enemies. They let them stay. This tribe did not drive out all the enemies. They let them stay. And what they're saying is the people God got in the promised land, they chose not to fight because they were complacent. It seemed too hard. The enemy seemed too big. So they just settled down among them. And they're like, hey, listen, we're going to live here now. But like, if you don't bother us, we won't bother you. And you can stay. And they were like, okay, cool. Sounds good. And so many people, they do that with their demons. Hey, listen, I'm not really going to get into the spiritual warfare stuff because I get attacked in a greater way. And so I'm just really not, I'm just going to go to church and try to believe God and and that's it. I'm not going to worry about it too much. I'm going to settle in. And then they continue with the same issues in their lives over and over and over again because they're not dealing with the issue. There's an enemy coming against you. There's an enemy suppressing you. There's an enemy holding you captive. There's an enemy holding you back. And the Lord's giving you the opportunity to get equipped to win these spiritual battles, to experience the fullness of the fruit of the freedom that Jesus paid for on the cross. And so if we're going to be a church that goes after strongholds of the enemy, then we have to be a church that is a house of prayer. We have to stay connected to the heart of God, constantly asking him, what's the battle plan? Now what? Constantly taking off our shoes, consecrating ourselves, constantly going, hey, God, it's not about me. I hallow your name, your kingdom come. What do you want, God? You know, Jesus won a lot of spiritual battles, didn't he? He drove out demons. He healed people, did a lot of amazing miracles and things. Do a study on the prayer life of Jesus. You'll find that it says he woke up while it was still early, before it was light out, while it was dark. He got up and went off by himself to pray. In his busiest season, he made prayer more of a priority. It says he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The night before a big decision, uh, when he designated, these are who my apostles are going to be, he stayed up all night praying. In a season of great grief and pain, when his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded, he went up on a mountain and again prayed all night long. He taught his disciples to pray. And there was something about the way he prayed that impacted them more than anything. They didn't ask him, teach us to preach, teach us to drive out demons, teach us to to do miracles. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing, and I only say what I hear him saying. That's how Jesus did ministry. It's what I call prophetic ministry, a prophetic lifestyle, where you spend so much time in prayer seeking the Lord's face that when you spend a lot of time in prayer, you begin to hear his voice. When you spend a lot of time in prayer, you begin to see what he's doing. And if you'll do that at the beginning of every day, he'll begin to speak to you and show you things for that day, for that week. And then when you start to do those things, oh my goodness, what do you know? You just see floodgates open. You see people get saved. You see favor on your life. You see the kingdom of God coming. You're like, how is this happening? It's because you're not just doing things, right? Evangelism, classic Christian evangelism. Go door to door, every single house, knock on the door, ask them, where, where, you, where do you think you'll go if you died tonight? Right? Keep a record of how effective you think that will be. Probably about 1% historically. Because people are just ticked off that you're knocking on their door. 
spend a lot of time in prayer. Seek the Father's face. See what he's doing. Hear what he's saying. And then do that. And see if your percentages increase. You'll see it go from about 1% to like 87% of people that the Lord leads you to accepting Christ, being healed, being set free. Why is that? Because God knows those who are his. He sees who's ready, and he sends you where you need to go. Seeking the Father's face. I want to do what you're doing, God. I want to say what you're saying. And so this is what God is calling us to as a church family. It's a prayer lifestyle. Surrounding strongholds in prayer. And so many parents make this mistake when it comes to their families, to their children. You just want to sit them down and tell them how it is, right? Maybe you don't sit them down. You just tell them how it is. That's you doing battle in the spirit. You just need truth. You don't understand how it is. Boom, I'm going to tell you how it is. Here's how it is. And they get more rebellious. They harden themselves against what you're saying. Try this. Maybe this rebellious thing is a spiritual battle. And before I talk to them, I'm going to circle them in prayer once a day for seven days. Maybe on the seventh day, I'm going to pray for them seven times. And then on Monday, I'm going to have the conversation. See how that goes. See if that conversation goes better. Better. Try that in your marriage before you just launch into what's upsetting you about your spouse. You know what? I'm going to circle this in prayer. I'm going to pray about it once a day for seven days. Then I'm going to enter in. And man, you're going to see a lot more fruit in those discussions. Why? Because you clear the air. Because whatever's oppression from the enemy is happening on your kid or in your marriage will not be there. And then the walls fall down. And the things that God wants to do, the restoration the refreshing that comes, that God wants to bring, it just happens. It's easy. Once you deal with the spiritual battle, then the stuff in the physical becomes easy. Things that were impossible in the physical become easy. All those two people, they'll never reconcile. Not if you keep word cursing it like that and not praying about it. Keep praying about it. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray the impossible. Pray what God wants to do in that situation over and over and over. And just go, I know this is, you've got to get in the word, to know what God's will is. And when you know God's will, then it's like, I know this is God's will. I'm going to sit here, and I see the devil has a hold on their life, and I see the devil has a hold in this situation. But I know God's will, and I'm going to camp outside that stronghold, and I'm just going to pray, 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 pray. Then I'm going to worship a little bit, because I know it's coming. Oh, I feel it's coming soon. Yes, Lord, blow the trumpets. Man, get those trumpets ready. It's coming real soon. And then one day, the walls fall down, and you find out you didn't do anything except pray, except war in the Spirit, and then God moves. Because the longer we pray, it literally weakens the enemy's grip on people. Veils of deception get removed, and then when they hear the gospel or when they hear the truth, it's like, they actually believe it. Because we've been doing what God has called us to do. And so this week, just begin praying. What strongholds are there in me? And I think seriously, be honest with yourself. Be humble about those symptoms that I was referencing earlier. What strongholds are there in my family? 
What strongholds are there in my community, region, nation? We're going after all of it, okay? And the Lord wants to cleanse his house first. He wants us to be free people so that we can have authority and credibility and confidence as we go to help set other people free. And so begin praying into these things. Look at your symptoms and ask the Holy Spirit when there are symptoms there, why? Why am I depressed? Why am I so angry and frustrated all the time? Why am I so afraid of fill in the blank? Why is this relationship so broken? Why? And keep asking that why. God, show me. God, show me. He's going to bring memories, thoughts, moments. He's going to bring revelation. He's going to bring revealing so that you know what to do about it. Next week in particular, um, and I say this with the asterisks of, of Lord willing, because this week, this, today has not gone how I thought it would go as far as what we talked about. Y'all got a whole different sermon than first service, which is fine. But um, I do know at some point, probably next Sunday, we're going to talk about some major strongholds um, in culture in in this region and name some things specifically that we're going to go after and and the lord definitely wants that to happen um so pray pray into that for me and for our leadership um we are also starting a spiritual health team uh, which we used to have an operation and then um kind of post-covid we kind of pushed pause on that for a while and we're re-engaging that our spiritual health team is a team of people here uh, who help people with spiritual problems. So deliverance, inner healing, those types of things. But if all you need is some pastoral counseling, wisdom, encouragement, yep, it's, 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 we can do that too. But um, very often we end up at the deliverance, inner healing uh, situation, basically. And so uh, if you need prayer, or as, as God's revealing things, I should say, and you're like, I think I know what I need to pray through, or... or we can help you discern that as well. If you're like, I've just got all these problems in my life and I don't have peace or I want to take my life or whatever the symptoms are and I don't know why it's there, um, we can help you discern that as well. And it's all confidential. It's really more of feels like a counseling session. Uh, it's like sitting in a private room, just having a very calm conversation um, about what's going on in your life. And then we pray into that. And so let us know if you want to schedule one of those. Um, you can email us, hello at freepeople.church, or uh, Ruth Irwin, our connections pastor, is going to help lead that team and schedule those things. And you can email her, Ruth, at freepeople.church. So let us know if you want to schedule one of those. I do want to encourage you, though, as I've said earlier, to go to the training of Open Heaven Ministries. And uh, that will help equip you for how to stay free um, from the enemy's attacks in your lives. And so we're, I guess we're entering into a boot camp of sorts is, is what this is. And God's going to teach us how to pray, how to live lives of prayer, to prepare us to make war and lay siege to strongholds in our lives and in our region. And so I want to encourage you to begin praying that way. God, show me. God, reveal to me. God, open my eyes. And, uh, and go on this journey with us. 
Um, as we close today, our, our ministry team is going to be available up front if you need prayer for anything. And then we have prayer every day at noon, house of prayer on Wednesdays all day. I want to invite you guys to be a part of that. Let me just pray for you as we close today. God, I just thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst and in our church. I thank you for this season we're coming into. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that any fear of evil or of the devil would leave now in Jesus' name. We have the great promise from your word that we'll trample in snakes of scorpions and nothing will harm us. So we are protected. I thank you for that, Jesus. I ask right now that veils would be removed and you would begin to reveal to us this week, God, if there are any strongholds in our lives, in our families, or any, any sources where we're not fully trusting you and we're just experiencing a lot of attack, a lot of oppression, just reveal to us those things, God. And I pray that you would encourage everyone here and begin to get our hopes up to be trained to know how to fight spiritual battles so that we can live in the fullness of the freedom that you offer us today, God. And I just look forward to this. God, I pray um, that you would inspire these people's hearts uh, to pursue you with all they are. And I pray that you would give them a vision of what you want to do in their inheritance, in their promised land, in their family, in their church, in their community, in their nation, God. Give us that vision. And encourage us again and again by your spirit with your word that when we go to war and we encounter enemies, even if they're bigger and stronger, even if they have chariots outfitted with iron and all these fancy weapons and things, we're not going to fear because you're with us and you're going to help us win. And I just pray that winning these battles would be a source of great delight and rejoicing. And of people getting, just being in awe of you as the disciples were when they drove out demons. It says they were rejoicing. Even demons submit to us in your name. It's encouraging to go, wow, the Bible's real. Wow, I didn't know I could be free of this. Wow, I didn't realize this, this is how it is. Wow, it's amazing. God's really real and he really loves us and he's really powerful. And so, God, I just pray that you would equip us, train us, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know you better. And as you're revealing strongholds or situations that we need to deal with, I pray that you would give us courage and faith to deal with them and to go after it. And so I just renounce any complacency in Jesus' name. And I renounce any compromise and any temptation to compromise. To go, no, that's not of God. We're going to go after what God wants. And I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you. We love you. We consecrate ourselves to you today. 
We take off our shoes. We hallow your name. (laughs) We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Set us free. Set us free so that we can be good witnesses and go help set others free around us, God. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.